This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hey, thanks for joining us online today for worship and for turning to the Word of God together to be our guide. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what it means to walk in the way Jesus walked and to follow in his steps in our life, what it really means to be a disciple. So we've sharpened our focus on being people who pray, people who are in the scriptures, people who freely share what God has done in our life with others so that they might taste the beautiful saving grace of Jesus. And last week and this week, we're looking at what it means to walk in the steps of Jesus by loving one another and knowing who we are as Christians in his family. In fact, I would say to you as we begin today that until you know who you are in your identity, it's impossible to live the way God intended you to live. Knowing your identity is crucial to be who God wants you to be. A number of years ago, Lucy and I were traveling in Ireland, and while we were there for about 10 days, uh, somewhere around day seven or eight, Lucy noticed that her passport was missing, lost or stolen. We were at the southern end of Ireland, and we had to get back to Dublin to get to the U.S. Embassy there in order to get a new passport to return home. We dreaded the whole idea of going through the bureaucracy of the embassy in order to get a passport to return to the United States. But to our surprise, when we arrived at the embassy in Dublin, they welcomed us in with open arms. And what I anticipated to be a bureaucratic nightmare was a very unusual picture of administrative efficiency. And in less than an hour and a half, we had a brand new passport for Lucy because when we entered in there, the lady said to Lucy, oh, honey, we're going to get you home. Because they knew we were Americans, they were Americans. They knew who we were. Uh, They just had to get some verification for us. And before long, we had a new passport and were able to return home. It was a remarkable picture of when you have the proper identity of who you are, you're able to go freely, live freely. In the movies, it's not so. In the movies, you look at Jason Bourne, he'll open his backpack and he'll pull out six or seven different passports and then he'll say, well, today I think I'll be a French teacher from Marseille. But the Christian doesn't have the opportunity to change identities. The more we know who we are as God's people, the more freely we're gonna live the way he intended us to live. In no passage is this more clear than in Romans chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, your tablet, or your phone, or any way that you can look at the scriptures, I invite you to open with me right now to Romans chapter 5. And I want to look at the opening five verses with the hope that it will give us a picture of who we are and why we are who we are. It's key. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Paul begins, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the glory of God. There are four beautiful realities that are true of us because we're Christians. Number one, we have been justified by faith. That's simply a theological term that says we have been declared Righteous before God because we've believed in what he did through his son Jesus. And we have peace with God. We're no longer 
in a relationship of enmity. We actually belong to him in a peaceful relationship. And we stand in a posture of grace. Everything about us in our relationship to God is because of his grace. And fourth, we hope in the glory of God that's going to come in eternal life. These things are true of us. Therefore, since we have been justified, since we have peace with God, since we stand in grace, and since we're hoping for the glory that is to be revealed, um, these things are true of us. That's our true identity. Verse 3 goes on, not only that, but we also rejoice in our suffering. That is, in the interim, before we get to glory, we may have some suffering times. Think COVID. Think many experiences of life. And in our suffering, we know that our suffering actually produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And then the closing phrase of verse 5 is really the phrase I want to look at today because it is the foundation of everything that I've just mentioned from verses one through four. And that phrase goes like this. Because, in other words, all that we've just said is because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You should just say that phrase out loud to yourself. Because, in other words, I'm justified. I have peace with God. I stand in grace before our Father in heaven, and I'm hoping for heaven, the glory of eternal life, even in times of suffering, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That is an amazing statement, but it is the crux of our identity as children of God. Think of it. All of this is because God's love for us was poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Three things I want to notice about that quick phrase. The word poured out means to tip over. So just think of a big um, receptacle of water, a big water pitcher being tipped over on the table and everything's flooded. The idea actually is an outpouring. It's not a mister. It's not a little spray. It's a fire hose. It's an overabundance of something being poured out more than could be held. It's an amazing picture of the free flow of an abundance of something. And that's exactly what God says. I've poured out my love into your heart in an abundant way. The second thing is you might note, it says it's actually a beautiful Greek construction of a perfect verb, which means the love of God has been poured out when I came to Jesus, and it's true to this day too. In other words, God's impression of pouring out his love into our hearts when we come to Jesus is that always in our lifetime, throughout every experience, we would always know without exception that we are loved by God in this overwhelmingly abundant way. Third thing I want you to note is that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts ongoingly by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian that assures us that we really are deeply loved by God. Many of us think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we immediately think, oh, um, 
the spectacular gifts of signs and wonders and miracles and healings and prophecy and tongues. And we think of the spectacular ministries of the Holy Spirit. But we often overlook the steady presence of God's Spirit in us to quietly assure us in the deepest part of our soul that we are loved by God. You feel that? I wonder if we miss that. After all, the fruit of the Spirit is, it's love, joy, peace, patience. Love is the first evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. I want to give you something to believe today that will transform your life. You are deeply loved by God. He loves you. Now, when I talk to people all the time, um, it's not uncommon to speak with people who have lost sight of the fact, even if they may profess to be Christians, that God loves them right now in their present circumstances. Why do we sometimes lose sight of the fact that we are deeply loved by God? As I thought about that this week, three things came to my mind. One of them is because we often think of our salvation in Christ in the opposite way that Paul has just described it in Romans 5.1. We stand in grace and we've been justified by his work in our life. Many people think of their Christian life experience as a working to get ourselves in the position where God will really want to love us. Because when we look at ourselves honestly, me too, I often think I'm just not that lovable and I've got my issues and I'm struggling often with sin. And I wonder if striving is more the way I think about my salvation experience, that I want, I want to work hard in my life so that God will love me. And I want to say overwhelmingly, no, 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 no. It's like the Bible says so clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved, by faith, not by works so that no one would boast. It's not because of what we do. But many people are striving to say, oh, I know I've failed so many ways. I know if I just perform well for a couple weeks, God will love me. And they work hard to get themselves in a position where they'd say, okay, God, this is the best I've got. Now I think you can love me. And the Bible actually says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the way God shows his love to us. He loved us when we were sinners. And now he saved us. And we need to have in our mind that we don't need to strive for anything. Striving is a way we lose sight of the fact that God loves us right where we are. We often say God loves us just as we are, but he wouldn't dream of leaving us where we are. And so he helps us grow in Christ. Another reason that we lose sight of the very precious fact that God loves us with an everlasting love is because we all stumble in many ways and we fall into sin. And our sinning can be the means by which we sometimes lose sight of the fact that God loves us. In one way, when we sin, if we feel a sense of guilt or regret or conviction, that's altogether right. 
but it must move us to the place that we would then bow before the God who loves us with an everlasting love and say, Lord, because of your faithfulness and your justice, I come before you and I confess my sins, knowing that you're faithful and just and that you will forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. If you're sinning deliberately from God and you're questioning whether God truly loves you, I might just ask you a question. How's it going for you? If you're living in a habitual pattern of rebellion against God, how's it working out? Many of us have learned that when we've wandered away from God, like the prodigal son, we've found that this is no way we want to live. And we run back to the father to say, here I am, would you take me? And we find the father's arms are open wide. And in fact, sometimes because he loves us so much, even in our sinning, we hear the words of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, that say, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. Part of the mission of God when we fall into sin is to come after us and sometimes to come after us with a sense of discipline that puts pressure on our lives to bring us to repentance and then know that he's good and that he loves us. So I just say, if you're in sin today and you're wondering whether God really loves you, he does. He loves you enough to die for you. And maybe this would be the morning that you would say, Lord, I want to come back to you. The final reason I often find uh, we might be inclined to question whether God loves us is because we go through suffering experiences. To be honest with you, we're in that right now. We are experiencing life as we've not experienced it in most of our lifetimes. And suffering can sometimes disorient us and we can lose our way and wonder, where are you, God? Why are you letting this happen? We've talked about this a great deal. But I was reminded this week of what we should do when suffering leads us to wonder whether God's there. Precious passage. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, read this way. This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. If I were to just say, okay, um, what the writer is saying is, I forgot that God loves me but I have to recall it to my mind. And then I have hope. I lost sight of the fact that he loves me, but this I recall to mind, and then I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But suffering and sorrow and lamentations had led him to the point where he said, I don't know if God you even know. But then I recall to mind the Lord's loving kindness never cease. They're new every morning. His mercies are new. And I always want to remind you, you are deeply loved by God. That's who you are. And if you have that as your identity, you wake up in the morning and you can say, God loves me. I don't know why. I don't deserve it. But my life is filled because he loves me. You're on your way to living the way God intended you to live and to walking in the steps that he wants you to walk in. This identity piece is so crucial. When the Apostle Paul thought about his identi identity, um, he put it this way, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. That is believing God. I live by faith in the Son of God. And then he describes the Son of God this way. Who loves me and gave himself for me. In other words, what Paul knew to be true about himself was he was someone who was deeply loved by Christ, enough that Christ would go to the cross for him. I told you I wanted to tell you something that you could believe even more than something that you should do today. And this is it. God loves you. God loves you so deeply that he would forgive your sins. When you were a sinner, he loved you enough to transform your life. And I hope before anything else, when you wake up in the mornings every day this week, you will wake up and say, God, I thank you that you love me in this way. But it does beg the question then. It begs the question that if that's true, what's the so what? If God loves me in this way, how does he intend for me to live? Well, we see that in the very words of Jesus. From John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus actually said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this will all people know that you really are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in three beautiful phrases repeated here, Jesus is talking about the one another of all of those who walk in his steps, all of those who are his disciples. A new commandment I give to you. Well, in one sense, it's not really a new commandment because we were told all the way back in the Old Testament to love your neighbor as yourself. So in what way is it new? It's new by the qualifying phrase, as I have loved you. That's new. That's a new extent. How deep is that love? That's a love that would sacrifice everything we have for the welfare of others. And that is a tremendous call. We've said at Calvary for years, we're building a Christ-centered community of people fully devoted to loving God and loving others. Recently, we've tweaked that a little bit to say we want to build Christ-centered communities of people who are fully devoted to loving God and loving others. Multiple collections of people who gather together to grow in their ability to love God and love one another and express that love for one another. Because love is from God and he manifested it in his son who died to forgive us of our sins. And then he calls us to love one another and show the world that we really are following him. Now, I want to tell you something really important that's happening at Calvary. Um, since March and through June, we initiated a new phase of worship brought on by COVID for us. We called it our online worship. And for those three months, we simply watched church online and worship together. Then beginning in June, we began to meet, at least some of us, about 25% of the church began to meet in person together on the lawn. And for June, July, and August, we have been meeting together in person. Not all of us, because we haven't all felt safe to do that. But beginning in September, we want to let you know today, we're going to start 
a third phase brought on to us by COVID, and we're calling it Calvary at Home. Calvary at Home, where we can walk in the steps of Jesus together as a community. Calvary at Home is our vision to gather members of Calvary in small groups in houses where people might feel comfortable being together, where they can study the Word of God and and pray for one another and break bread and enjoy the fellowship of each other in a safe environment that they are willing to participate in. We're going to be talking more about this in the weeks ahead, but beginning September 13th, we're praying that all across the Front Range, members of Calvary will be gathering together in groups of 10 or 15 or 20, maybe even 25, who would gather in a home together to have church on Sunday morning and then share a little bit of the Acts 2.42 experience of being in fellowship, where... What Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples, you love each other. That'll happen in small groups. Right now we're not able to meet in large groups in our building. And I know this is a disappointment for all of us. It certainly is for me. But we're going to do the best that we can to live out what it means to walk in the steps of Jesus as his Christ-centered community in smaller groups at home. At the end of this message you're going to hear a little description of how you can step into that in the days and weeks ahead. And I hope you will join us. Because one thing we know for sure, when we gather in the building, we all sit in rows. And we do learn when we sit in rows. But when we gather together in small groups, we do more than learn. We actually grow in our life. Being in relationship with other people, turns out, is not only uh, optional, it's crucial and essential because relationships are catalytic to help us develop in our spiritual life. Very few of us actually activate ourselves for spiritual growth, but we are activated by other people in our lives. If you get married, you know your wife or your husband is going to activate you for some kind of life change once you get married. In a church, the discipleship relationship is crucial for activating spiritual life and growth and development. And we want that to happen at Calvary. We never want to neglect the meeting together where we can express what it means to enjoy being loved by God and then to love one another in the body of Christ. Love begins with God. It was demonstrated in Jesus, and then it gets manifested in the life of the church. So as we think about who we are as Calvary Bible Church, a Christ-centered community of people who are fully devoted to loving God and loving others, I want to encourage you to think about how you will step into a circle of people who will give you the opportunity to be loved and to express love, doing exactly what the Bible tells us, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to support one another, to forgive each other, to exhort one another, and to strengthen one another, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. All those dynamics of our life together, which COVID has thwarted to a certain effect. 
but we want to take another step forward as a church to be in smaller groups. And I hope you'll begin to pray about how you will step into that so that we walk in the steps of Jesus, of loving one another in this way. And remember what he said, as you love one another, all men will know that you're my disciples. And you absolutely know that as the church lives in this crazy time, as a Christ-centered, loving community, it becomes a magnet for people who are estranged in isolation to be drawn into the life of the church to find the Savior that we love so much, whose love they need to come to know. And maybe it'll be in a small group like yours in your neighborhood that will lead others to come and know the Jesus that we know and love. At least that's our prayer for you. By this will all men know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, God loves you. And I pray you'll give wings to the love he's given into your heart to all those around you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I pray for everyone listening to my voice today. I pray for the deep rooted assurance of the Holy Spirit to them to convince them without a doubt that the God of all creation, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, loves them with an everlasting love. And I pray that love for them will shape their life and that there will never be a doubt in their soul that they are loved by God. And then I pray that by the same Holy Spirit, you will give us expression to every relationship in our life, to our families, to our marriages, to our colleagues and coworkers, to our neighbors, to the community around us, that God is love. And everyone who has been born of God loves others. May the love of God, which has been poured out to us individually, be poured out to the world around us. For the glory of God, we all pray together. And everybody said, amen.